0: Good message. Come on, everybody. Come, come, come on, everybody. This okay. is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Ward talk. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness! And he's huge. Hello, boy.
1: <laughs> Wonder if we can pat him. I'd
0: love to see this video being. Gone.
1: Hi, hey, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. <laughs> help me, help! Oh. In our Melon Law studio in the piney woods of north central Florida. Yours truly is located here. And our Wednesday co host here is in Seattle, Washington, on his way to Vietnam. Wow. Melon Law, with 50 years of experience, as you know, won't back down, is a full service legal firm and CPSS.Not Crime Prevention protects us. And check out the mugshots and welcome to all the sponsors and donations. And if you donated here recently, you will get a thank you card from yours truly. So we appreciate that very much. Well, you know, we've had a really wonderful time with Ted Yoho, uh, co-hosting with me every Wednesday for I don't know why, how long now. I've kind of lost track, fingers and toes. But it's been, you know, enjoyable and hopefully informative for you. And uh, we have got no different expectation today than our conversation will help you understand some things that perhaps you won't see in the paper or you won't hear from, quote unquote, conventional news sources. I don't think there's any conventional about the words Scott Files. We just try to tell you the truth as best we can. And that is what maintains our listener rapport, the trust that you place in what we say. If we don't know what we're talking about, we'll tell you. And if we know somebody who is, we'll find them. And then you can debate it if you want to, because it's all uh, open for conversation in our community forum. Uh, as I mentioned, just now going uh, live on the air, uh, Ted is in Seattle. He will be soon. Boy, I don't envy him one bit. Sitting in a plane for 20 hours, flying over, as he said just before we came on the air, uh, the uh, top of the globe uh, to land nonstop in Vietnam. Uh, Ted, what is on your agenda? Let's just go to that. When you do land nonstop, help us out. What are you going to do?
0: Well, we got a busy day. Uh, We're going to meet with some of our friends that we uh, had uh, made when I was in Congress on the Foreign Affairs Committee. I'm meeting with two of the ex-ambassadors from Vietnam, uh, and we're going to go around, and we'll talk about some politics and things like that in general. And then um, Friday, that'll be Friday. So we'll start at 10 o'clock. We have a luncheon at 11 or 1130. And then that evening, we're meeting with our ambassador, Mark Napper, who's been our ambassador from the United States to Vietnam. And we're having a dinner at his house with me, my wife, Carolyn, and my daughter, my oldest daughter. And from there, uh, we're going to go around and see the country. You know, I had the opportunity to go there when I was in Congress. And Vietnam, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's a communist country. We had this war. and I was reluctant to go the first time. Um, But when I got there, the ambassador told me, he says, what you don't understand is Americans have a 90 percent favorability here. The French only a 40 to 50. Chinese are single digits. And it was because we came and fought a war and we left after 10 years. The French try to colonize it. Uh, The Chinese have been trying to take them over for thousands of years. And they're our 16th largest trading partner and uh, a strong ally of ours against the uh, encroachment of China and their aggression and provocation of what they're doing. So we look forward to having a great time around that country, and uh, the people are awesome, Um, and I want to show my wife and my daughter that.
1: Well, you know, it's a tough pill to swallow, as you know, for some of the guys who spent their lives there immersed in, of all things, in the worst-case scenario, Agent Orange and things of that nature. And it's just a – you know, I often hearken back and wonder, and I'm, of course, a little older and farther down the road than you you are, Ted, but – uh, it, I have it's speculation, not just mine. Had Kennedy not been assassinated, uh, we may not have gotten mired in there. Um, you know, harking back to those days, and I was very much active then. I was in college, and we had bull sessions in in the in the uh, in the beer halls. It was a big deal as as kids. Yeah. We were we were politically involved because I remember one of my classmates was had been a tank driver in in uh, Germany. And so they had a lot of skin in the game. They knew what was going on in terms of the Cold War. And we would talk about um, Vietnam. And the first time I ever heard of Vietnam was, my roommate was back from um, uh, the, the Air Force. He was a captain, a navigator on the, on the big, uh, big planes, B-52s and all. And he'd come back to finish his chemistry degree and kind of sit in a holding pattern to see what happened. And one day, it's the first time I ever heard of Vietnam. He came up to the room and he said, well, I got my papers and I'm going to Vietnam. I said, what's Vietnam, Earl? Captain Earl Johnson, a great guy. And I said, what's Vietnam? said, Oh, he said, I'll never forget this. He says, the only war we got. And that's the way he kind of looked at it. You know, he was a military guy. This is where he needed to go. And away he went at the end of that semester. And it was really called a police action for so long, if you remember, Ted. And it was not a war. It was never even called a war to this day. Right. And, and um, then I think the worst thing that I remember about it is the misinterpretation of the Tet Offensive by the press. Yep. We actually won the Tet Offensive. And the press, the first, mo- the first time I remember of a liberalization of the facts, said we lost. Right. And it was Walter Cronkite. So... And then, of course, Johnson got in there by assassination and didn't know what was going on and um, began the golf of Tonkin and all that. And, and then thought he could bomb people in a submission and it cost him the presidency. So uh, there's my little rap, Ted. I know you're you you you, you know, more familiar than I am with a lot of things, but, you know, I'm an old guy now. <laughs> I do remember that's some my names. story and I'm
0: sticking to it. That's my
1: story. Well, it's kind of the story of the nation, really. It really is. And,
0: you know we don't get the history like we should on that. I just finished a book uh, in war and peace uh, by Gene um, Edward Smith. And it was during the Eisenhower years and how he went from Truman, the conflict uh, there, the French were trying to get us involved in that. and Churchill was trying to get us involved in uh, intervening in Vietnam. It was called Indochina at the time, which was Vietnam, Laos and Cambodia. And we stayed out of that. And then Eisenhower says, no, the French need to give up what they're trying to do because they're trying to colonize whole into China. <laughs> and uh, we didn't want anything to do. it. Well, the narrative changed from getting the French out and colonizing it. Churchill and these other people came in. And so, no, this is really about stopping uh, the spread of communism. And Ho Chi Minh came to our government and asked us to support them. And we would not. Uh, Truman wouldn't do that. And so what happened is he had a side with the communists. But the interesting thing is their uh, Vietnamese or the Vietnam Independence Day is September 15th. It's their 77th year of independence. And A lot of people don't understand this. Ho Chi Minh in uh, Saigon, uh, he read the, dec- our dec- the United States Declaration of Independence in its entirety that day because they believed in those beliefs so strongly and go back. That was over 200 years ago. That was written. So those beliefs are universal. People want to be self-determining. They want the ability of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness to own property. And uh, you know, of course, what you brought up Johnson, I mean, the war escalated, turned into a disaster. We could have won that war if we wouldn't have bound the hands of our military. And like I said, I had a, trepidations of going over there the first time we dealt we dealt with a lot of uh, uh veterans when i was in office and there was a lot of ill feelings and i had those but when i went there i saw a different story and this is the story people need to know uh they're great people and uh, you know uh, we need to build that relationship especially today with the tensions that are going on and the provocation of china and their goal to take over the world and you know you'll get russia iran and then North Korea just passed a law that says there will be, it'll be illegal to, to denuclearize. And so people are gearing up, uh, in a bad way. Uh, these countries, um, that we just, we don't want to have a conflict with anybody. We want, we don't need any more conflicts. So we need to have a peaceful way of resolving these conflicts. And so I'm going over as a citizen ambassador.
1: Well, you know, Ted, uh, another story comes to my mind about, uh, Cultures, uh, which yeah. I think a lot of what you're referencing is uh, about. Um, years ago, when um, you know we first, uh, I guess we got got out of that thing finally in the 70s, we could always tell what countries were had been disrupted by the students who showed up in our classes from those countries, right. and they were right. they were always the best of the best. They sure were, and and their families just said. You got to get out of here. We're not going to be able to help anymore. You got to go to America. And in the 80s, we saw them come out of Lebanon. Wonderful people. In the 70s, we saw them come out of Iran. Okay, in the early 70s. Later, we saw them come out of Vietnam. And I will never forget, I'm going to tell the story. I'm going to tell the story. The beginning of composition class, English, which was a, a class everyone had to take, I came in and did my customary thing, Ted. I said, "Here's what's expected of you. Here's how we'll I think help I you." I
0: had to take that class two or three times.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, uh, here's what's expected of you, and here's how we try to help you get to those expectations. But you got to get to them. And you know, it was full of uh, our American kids, but there was one kid on the front row. Okay, and I was soon to learn that he was from Vietnam. And at the end of the class, he came up. This is the only kid student in the history of my, and I taught 40 years, who's ever done this. Okay. At the end of the class, as the students were filing out, he came up to my desk and he bowed and he said, thank you for instructing me, sir. Really? He said, thank you for instructing me, sir. The American kids saw him do that. And as he went on out of the room, they said, oh, he's just trying to butter you up to get a grade. And I said, gentlemen, you have got your head, you know, where the sun doesn't shine. Okay. Let me tell you, this was an English class. All right. Yeah. About halfway through the course, he'd already mastered what the others weren't even close to mastering yet. And so I called him aside and I said, you know, you really don't have to put up with the pace here of these people. Um, you just come back at the end and take because you already go the, know the material. Then he said to me, I wouldn't miss the opportunity to be in this classroom for anything. Really? And then he told me how he came to be here. Wow. His parents in Vietnam saw a United States aircraft carrier off the coast. They put him in a skiff or a boat or something. Pushed him off the shore. And said, you see that ship out there, you get out there to it and see if they'll take you on.
0: Really? Wow. Yes.
1: That's how he came to be in the United States. And he rode his bicycle, Ted, from southeast Gainesville, where he lived, where the rates were pretty low there. Rain, sleet, hail, or snow. He never had an absence. And he rode his bike all the way out to Santa Fe College. So you know how far that is. I tracked this young man. I tracked this young man. The last I checked on him, he had a PhD in computer engineering. Wow. You know, so what I'm saying, we are now, as you know this, Ted, at Harvard and places like this, limiting the entrance of people from these cultures in Asia. Because they're too good. And, and let me tell you something else. I'm, I hope I'm not interfering and treading on your time. But no, we we had a because I know the institutions really really well. Haven't been in them. We had what's called a learning lab at Santa Fe College. Uh-huh. It, it was free. It's free. Open. Just come. You think we could get our guys to go? No. Do you know we had to lock the door to keep the Vietnamese and the Chinese and all these people from those cultures. Out of that lab, because they would spend all night in there. And what did they want to learn? English, because they said English runs the world. It does. And so I got to know it. I got to know it really, really well.
0: Well, you've, you've heard the analogy that you don't miss something until you lose it. And these people never had that. They saw an opportunity for freedom. They saw an opportunity for um, to advance and achieve anything they wanted to, and they never had that. So now they're in a place where it's like a kid coming into a candy store. It's like, wow, their world is open. Where the, our people, you know, in this country, uh, they're complacent, we're lazy, we take things for granted. But um, uh, the good lesson is when you start seeing these people, and we see it from the Cuban immigrants, the Venezuelan immigrants that are coming flooding through our southern border which i told um when i was in congress when when uh, maduro took over like he did that we're going to have this influx of venezuelans they laughed at me on my foreign affairs committee but now we're getting more venezuelans coming across than we've ever had and they're hard-working people they want freedom and that's what this country stands for it stands for freedom that you can do anything you want in life if you work within the system and you put in that four-letter word like that kid was driving his bike called work and effort and if you don't do that you don't deserve to to achieve you know kamala harris is saying everybody should have equity i agree do the equal work and you'll have the same equity you know more likely and um that message has been lost on our youth and they just think that america is a bad place well you know go to a country go to a country where you don't have these opportunities and freedom and then come back and i think that Brittany, who's the uh, basketball star
1: yeah, yeah, Griner. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I, I think she's probably got a little bit better take on what America stands for.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's I, you know, we were talking about this before we went, and I listen. One of the things about me, I don't really know what story I'm going to tell until we start talking. I have never had an opportunity to tell that story about this young man in my class That's until now. Story. It is sm- Down I to would, the would, fact. Go ahead. Down, down to the fact that the bicycle. Well did not have gears. He rode a bicycle, and when he went up the hills, you couldn't shift it into a lower gear.
0: I mean I would it, love to hear him come and give a motivational speak or a TED talk.
1: I had so much respect for that guy. And and um, and you know, he wasn't at l- least bit interested in in uh, being recognized, or it was just get let me have a chance, let me go. But when he said oh, I totally missed him. This, and, you don't have to come back. You don't wait. No, I would not miss this opportunity to sit in his classroom. And, um, I would
0: so, not I mean, miss this opportunity. I mean, he understood what the value of that opportunity was. And that, that, that's a neat story.
1: It's a heck of a story. And, you know, it's one of the great things about teaching is that you really do have a chance to change people's lives and be changed by them. See, I was changed by him because I always was kind of in the back of my mind. Maybe I push these American kids too much. Maybe my standards are too high. Maybe I expect too much. Maybe I should listen to them and all their excuses until somebody like him comes along. Right. And that's an international culture, so to speak, sitting there. And what the American kids needed to learn from him is you're going to go out and compete with this guy. Okay? And you better get your bring your A game if you're going to compete with him. And and you know you're talking about. Americans don't go anywhere, you know. All they know is here. They may right. go from they may go from Georgia to to New York or something, but they don't go, you know, from Vietnam to uh, in to uh, Cambodia. You know, right. my wife has a as a as a doctor from uh, Cambodia, physician who says to her the other day, everybody in Cambodia because of the Cameroon Rouge suffers from post-traumatic stress syndrome. I suspect the so. The whole culture. They
0: sure yeah. have, and Hun Sen is the longest serving dictator in the world. And, and they're gonna pass that leadership off to his children and they're billionaires, that family is billionaires. And uh, the Cambodians are, have some of the lowest income levels in the world. And, you know, and again, they see opportunity when they come over here, they're gonna achieve.
1: Well you know it's um it's a very interesting. I would like of course do a I, I assume we'll be doing a zoom next week from Vietnam That's our goal that's our goal, and it'd be so great Over to a 13
0: have an hour difference
1: Well yeah, we'll, we'll work it out because you're you are steady Eddie. I swear it, you are he can set your clock by Ted. I'll tell you what, and there's a lot to be said for that in the world. That's another thing we don't teach That kid was early to class, okay. When I came in, he beat me to the classroom, all right? I mean
0: – I probably would have been dinged on that one. <laughs> Anybody that knew me as a veterinarian, you know. <laughs> I had you a know, bad reputation of being late.
1: We were talking about this on, on, off the air, Ted and I, before we came on. And, by the way, I did not rehearse the story about the young man. It's just something that uh, – you know, one of the great things I learned from listening to Limbaugh and these guys, Ted – the talk show is all about storytelling. Um, that's what we oh, have sure. a unique, you know, it's not down and distance, it's not the facts, it's not, you know, rehashing the plays the quarterback called, it's really telling the stories. And the story you told about your reluctance to go there in the beginning and how that you changed is a big story. That's a big story. And here we have, I wish we could do more storytelling in our culture. Um, the universities yeah, have become from a story. Yeah, the universities have become all about uh, statistics and grades and all these oh, abstractions, yeah. you know? Um, but not human interaction. And I'm reading here as this journal how welfare left Americans poorer. And this was just came out came out today. Today. And it's an op-ed piece by the journal. So I doubt you've seen it yet, because you're there. But most Americans are worse off than the before the pandemic, owing to the unprecedented transfer payments. And uh, real median pre-tax household income fell $402 last year. And and it's it's $2,024 lower than in 2019. Meanwhile, the number of workers didn't budge between 2020 and 2021. So we have actually killed the strongest thing in our culture the work ethic, by making these transfer payments, um, the the number of full-time year-round workers increased by 11.1 million last year, but their real median earnings declined
0: 4.1. They really have. And, and when you look at government programs, and it becomes it becomes a political tool, it's this side against this side, one class against the other side, the rich against the poor. Uh, and then the, the, the politicians will use it. Both sides do this. And uh, it, it's, it's really sickening because it's not treating what we really need to treat. Government programs are a good thing if they're used the way they're supposed to be. And there's accountability and all these things. And you work and get people off um, off of a government program. And I was reading an article in Gainesville Public Housing. A person, uh, they're going to go up on rent, I think, 200 or $300 a month. And a person says, I've been living here for 26 years. You can't do that. And I'm like, well, if you've been living there for 26 years in public housing, there's supposed to be job programs, things like that, opportunity programs. So we're, we're missing it there. And people turn in those government programs, not all of them. There's some great people. Carolyn and I, you guys have heard my story where we were on food stamps for six weeks. But we moved to get off of that. I wanted that opportunity. And um, we need to move these people, put them in a program, move them up, or raise them up and move them out. And uh, we should all have that. and We should be balcony people, encouraging people to succeed, and you can do that. And it's, you know, the help is out there. We just don't want it to become a way of life. And unfortunately, it's become a generational way of life. And there's so much more to life, and there's so much more in America, that if people take a hold of the opportunity that is faltering right now, um, we can change this country, and we get back in the direction it needs to be.
1: You know, just some numbers here that probably you've known these numbers in some form or another while you were in D.C., but um, transfer payments is what we're talking about here. Yeah, um, cards,
0: electronic
1: Yeah, $3,600 child tax credit, $1,400 payments for each adult and child, food stamps averaging about 230 a month, an expanded Affordable Care Act, premium subsidies. Uh, the ACA subsidy enhancement in particular – has been uh, self-destructive, if you will. And um, it it doesn't even uh, um, touch what's going on, as you mentioned, with food stamps and the other um, subsidies, transfer payments. I guess that's a fancy word of saying subsidies. Uh, Maybe they found a way to try to hide the meaning of what it really is. But the the point of the article is that, and you almost have to wish this were tongue in cheek, but I don't think it is. Leisure pays as much as work.
0: Yeah, no, huh? it's, Yeah, it does. It really does. I mean, we. I think we've all seen pers- personal examples of that. Out in where where I live now in Putnam County, there's a small town where I live. Um, there's a food bank, food pantry, <laughs> and these people will get together and they give out meals and things like that. And so they had an excess, so they called this one lady. So we'll call so and so, have her come over and get this. And she goes, no, I'm not going to waste my time doing that. I'm making like $2,400 a month from the government or 3000. And she goes, I don't need to do that. I'll go shopping. And when you get to a point where people are making money enough to, to live their life without working, it's, it's a downward spiral. And you and I were talking about what was going on in Argentina, 40, it's either 41, 46 or 51% of the people are on some form of government assistance. They went on strike because the government's running out of money. So there's austerity measures and they're taking some benefits away. Well, the citizens went on strike and one of the reporters asked him, well, why are you striking and protesting? They said, well, they're taking our benefits away. And he goes, they're running out of money. He goes, we want more benefits, not less. And the math doesn't work and a country cannot survive that way. Not only a country, but a culture can't survive. If there's not the work ethic, if there's not the values passed on from one generation to the next. And that's what I fear the most. I saw a movie yesterday, and I'm going to recommend it to everybody. And it was either she wore freedom or the the, the girl wore freedom. And it's a story about a young girl during World War II in Normandy. And she wore an American flag after our soldiers and the British and the Canadians and, and other countries came and... Uh, Ran the Germans out of that. This this is a it's a high, a tear-wrenching story. And it just tells you the value of what America stood for and our values that led to freedom. And these people today probably have a big as Normandy celebration to celebrate foreign soldiers that came to liberate them. That's the message that needs to be passed on today's generation here.
1: You know, you're were uh, talking to that. Well, let's just share this with our audience. Um, you had a number that you said we could very easily be like Argentina within sure. five years. Yeah. And how do you how do how do you calculate that? I'm just I don't disagree. I'm just curious as to what do you see if we don't change? And we'll get into well, that. Maybe you have, have more period.
0: people taking out of the pot than putting into the pot. The math doesn't work. And it was in an article in some of the research I did. Uh, When I saw this article in Argentina and people are protesting, I'm like, what are they protesting? And then you read the story and you do some background check on that. Um, It was 41 or 46, or it could have been 51% of the people were getting some kind of subsidy from the Argentinian government. And the numbers don't work. And so they had to go through austerity measures, which means you're going to cut some programs back. And when you do that, the people that are getting those benefits are going to get mad. And that's what exactly is going on there. And we've seen that in other places in the world. Look at it right here in America. Um, when the COLA, um, uh, the seniors didn't get a COLA increase up fact, it went backwards. I think 1%, 1%. Uh, our, our lines were lit up in our congressional offices. Everybody was around the nation and people were complaining about the one percent, or if the government shut down, there is the media and the left is saying the Republicans are going to. You're not going to get your check because of the Republicans. It's all a bunch of BS. So people were complaining about that, which did not happen. But it was the fear of it was going to happen, or that one percent with austerity measures. You're talking five, six, seven, ten percent cutbacks, and if people are willing to protest over one percent, they're going to riot at ten percent.
1: Well, you know, we can remember, I remember what Billy Matthews said. I don't know if you ever knew Billy Matthews, but he was a, a, yeah, man, what a character. You know, he served, I think, four presidents as a congressman from, he was from Newberry. He was a farmer and, um, you know, I invited him out to the college after he'd retired to, I wanted the kids to see somebody like him, you know, who had, who could tell them firsthand about things that, maybe read in a history book, which didn't come to life. But uh, I always remember what he said to them and they didn't understand it at all. I knew they wouldn't. He said, the best thing you can do for your country is buy five acres of land. And they didn't get it. But what he was talking about is when you have invested in the earth, then you pay attention to what happens to the earth. And you pay attention to whom your local commissioner is. You pay attention to whom your governor is because You've got investment in real property. And that real property, if you treat it right, you can five acres, you can sustain yourself. You can actually, I even read the other day where in Brazil, we're talking about South America in a way here, Ted, even though you're headed to Vietnam, but they're actually going back to something called urban farming, where they can't they can't afford the food at the grocery market. I mean, who you know, we we got fewer than 2% of the nation supplying the food here for the rest of the country. And we and I talked about this, all the assumptions. We know how quickly we can clear out a supermarket in a hurricane. In a couple hours, it's gone, you know. So I guess Brazil has learned this, and they're going back to urban farming. I've always been for that. I thought, you know, why not? But, you know, we don't have any way to stop, in Florida doesn't look like, the transformation of Farm land to residential or commercial. It's, it's, it's We need to set aside something. I'm there, I'm with the, if you want to call them environmentalists, I'm with them on that.
0: No, I agree. And, you know, the truth be known, our food prices are going up. You and I have talked about this. Uh, Americans, again, we're spoiled. We, we pay one of the least amount of money of our discretionary income for our food, but you're seeing this tick up. I mean, I've heard some commodities going up 10 13 15%. That's not a temporary thing, this going up. This is going to be what the future looks like. And you brought it up. It's actually less than one, right at 1% or maybe a little bit less of our population is involved in agriculture. It's an aging population. And the average age of a farmer today is 59, I think. And you and I have talked about some farmers that we know right there in Alachua County that they're saying, we can't stay in business. You look at the price of fertilizers, the price of fuel, it's driving them out of the market. And when they go out of business, I'll guarantee you that land is not going to go back into farming. It's going to be sold. It'll be out of production. And so we're going to have maybe a half percent of this population within about 10 years uh, raising the food of this nation. And if you don't have food security, you don't have national security and this is something again that people need to understand and you know it will go they'll either go to urban farming or they'll be forced to do some kind of farming but it's not just the farming you need to know how to put up stuff and can That's stuff right and, and do that and I think, I don't think this generation knows how to do that like they did when we grew up.
1: Tom Ted Yoho is currently uh talking with us from in- uh, an atrium in Seattle waiting on a flight to fly over the top of the earth, nonstop 20 hours, bless his heart and his family with him uh, to Vietnam, where we'll be broadcasting uh, next week with Ted. So we're going to take a break here at the bottom of the hour for our sponsors, our donors, all the great people who support us. And we always invite more of you to do so. And when we get back, I'll do a little uh, weather report. And actually my weather today Ted is going to be taking a look at worldwide drought and uh, fits right in with what we've been saying. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with our great friend, Ted Yoho. Eight term, uh, eight years, I guess it was. What was it? Eight term? I lost count. Four terms. uh, Four terms, eight years in D.C. And then he's term limited himself. My golly. What was the man thinking? Okay. he's probably thinking straight, right. We'll be right back on The Ward Scott Files. Thank you. Although the owner of Lewis
0: Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June.
1: Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, Large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold Sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, on spot Dry Cleaners, r and Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscotfiles.com
0: Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him.
1: Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, thanks. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather, brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Here I'm going to uh, share a little weather with you. This time it's going to be global weather. It's going to be brought to you as always by Lewis Oil, our great supporters. We appreciate them um, taking an interest in supporting our program. And this is all so we can have a discussion like this to share with you all. And hopefully you become a little more educated about issues that can affect your life. Of course, you've got to go out and do your part and participate. I want to talk about something that's in the Wall Street Journal that, uh, that talks about the worldwide drought and I want to draw back a little bit. Locally here today, we're going to have, as I reported, um, days no longer reaching 90 and nights just about ready to dip into 60s. And scattered rain, some places where you are, it might be a drencher. In some places, you might look across the road and see sunshine. That's the way it's been going this week. But internationally, across the globe, a record drought uh, has dried up rivers and reservoirs, and you have to realize that this meant a drop in electricity generated by the flow, electricity generated by the flow of water, from places as diverse as uh, China and California. Uh, you would wonder what does China and California have in common? They have energy grids that face big blackout risks. Uh, particularly, let's look at California. There's been record demand, more people coming, more of this so-called shift to all uh, the renewables. That they just can't carry it though. So there's a lack of electrical supply that includes, of course, the water star of hydro power stations. And paradoxically, this is occurring. And once again, one of the things I've learned as I've gotten to be an old man is always realize your assumptions are just that, assumptions. There's nothing permanent about them. Um, if you think that water is going to flow forever and provide hydroelectric power and you base all of your Culture on that, be careful because you got to remember your place in nature. Nature is much bigger than the Homo sapiens. And this is a reminder of this drought frequency and the duration of it um, has really uh, become significant globally and increasingly so since 2000 because we have more demand for the power. And we are some assuming that we can all enjoy. Uh, going and turning the thermostat up and down, so to speak. Be careful about that. Hydropower generates 16 percent of the world's electricity, and it can't. Renewable energy cannot begin to compensate for it. Uh, parts of China have endured the hottest and driest summers in 60 years. Uh, some of the rivers are at their lowest level in record. Uh, here we have Lake Mead and Lake Powell have fallen to historically low levels. And for Europe, there's an issue with a low rainfall and a record heat wave, and combine that with the Russian cheap natural gas, which has now been cut off, and we are looking at real problems in Europe, poverty perhaps, and food, and basic assumptions of warmth and comfort going on this winter coming up. This is not in the far future, this is in the near future. The Norwegian government has even warned, and they've been supplying a lot of the electrical exports to the UK, they have warned that they're going to have to limit what they can do because they're affected by this as well. So meanwhile, we're trying to do this transition away from fossil fuels, and we've got to transmit the energy, though, in electrons from clean energy sources. They still got to travel over long distance transmission lines. There's a lot of hocus pocus, I think, and this is my opinion, in this so-called switch to electrical this and that. It's still got to be a power source generating that energy and electrical power, hydroelectric power. It's been carrying a lot of it, but who's to say it's always going to carry it? So one of the unintended consequences of this hydro bad summer, if you will, has been paradoxically, get this now, In a time when we're de-emphasizing fossil fuel because of the emissions and all that, it has resulted in an increased use of coal, raising nearly 6% in coal coal consumption globally to make up for this deficit. So I thought that was a pretty interesting, Ted, weather report to share uh, with our listeners, particularly in light of what you and I have been talking about, and that is that man needs to remember his place in nature. Boy, is no quicker reminder of that than to have your comfort of living uh, suddenly altered by nature.
0: (laughs) Nothing's constant in the universe. It's always changing. And, you know, we can get to a point where we think it's just static. It'll never change. But it's always changing under our feet. And we have to be prepared for that. And, you know, I know one of your sponsors is Lewis Oil. And I got to give them a shout out because wherever I go in the country, I see a Lewis Oil truck delivering fuel to a farm and uh, I know they keep the farmers farming and it's a good thing because if they don't have access to that fuel they can't farm and our prices are going to go up Um, flying into to Seattle yesterday afternoon it was amazing because everything was brown it was like a hard freeze in North Florida and the pastures you know how they turn brown overnight that's the way it looked when we were flying in and you know we're so spoiled in Florida because we get average of about 56 inches of rainfall a year we just take that for granted and i know we've seen some droughts in our area and uh you know they're never a good thing to see um but i can only think that in time this will adjust let's hope if not we're in a world of trouble um because there will be famine and you know uh, i don't want to get into that you know with the famine problem that they're saying is going to be probably one of the worst ever you know with what's going on with conflict but we can talk about that at another time Um, what were we talking about before?
1: We were talking about assimilation. You asked me to remind oh, this well, right. about my great uh, Vietnamese student at that. You made a good point is that he was interested in assimilating into American culture. He didn't come here to alter, correct, complain, gripe about it. Just give me an opportunity to um, use my talent and energy and discipline to better myself and therefore others. And. That is what we don't have enough of. I mean, we've got so many people who have nothing to compare this country to except what they've been told by people with a political agenda in order to really put what they think they think in perspective.
0: Right. And this is a dangerous path, uh, path to go down. If you look back historically, you know, you had the German Americans, Irish Americans. You had the Italian-Americans. You had all these different hyphenated Americans. But at the end of the day, they were all Americans. If you go back to World War II again or Vietnam, when they went to fight, they didn't go in as, well, I'm fighting for the Irish-Americans. I'm fighting for this group. They fought together as Americans as a cohesive unit because they believed in America. This is one of the reasons Iraq will never be a very solid nation because there is no nationalism in Iraq. It was Saddam Hussein. He got removed, and so you have the Kurds, the Sunnis, and the Shia, and they're not fighting for Iraq. They're fighting for the Shias. They're fighting for the Sunnis or they're fighting for the Kurds. And if you don't have that assimilation, that we are people that are bound together in a nation, and in our country, we're bound together by the beliefs that this country is founded on. If you don't have that, your country starts to erode, and then you get these factions. And the, the, the party that's in charge now, the Marxists, Um, You know, I I can't call them Democrats. They are using uh, identity politics. You know, uh, they're putting each group against the other. If you're not of the WASP, uh, which is white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, then these other groups have been suppressed by this group. And it's uh, Black, Indigenous, uh, People of Color is an organization that says, oh, we've all been suppressed. Well, your Vietnamese student probably didn't feel that way. He saw a land of opportunity. He assimilated and uh, he did well. And we have got to get this back to people. It's America is not good or bad. It's the people that are in it, running it, that want to make it one way or another. And if you go to the principles, they're neither Republican, Democrat, conservative or liberal. Those are American ideologies. And if we all work together on a team, uh, I think we get pretty good results.
1: We've got a a longtime listener here who was in Vietnam as an airborne medic years ago and top fan of the show and is very interested in uh, perhaps you can give us a hint as what your travel uh, itinerary will be. He's very interested in probably going down a little bit of memory lane with you here.
0: Yeah, we're flying into Hanoi. We're going to be there for three days. Um, Like I said, we're going to be meeting with some of my previous contacts when I was in Congress. We're going to go to Halan Bay. Uh, We're going to do a night cruise on there. Uh, We hear it's just absolutely gorgeous, one of the uh, prettiest places on the planet. It's a UNESCO uh, heritage site. And then we're going to go down. We're taking a train down to uh, Hanoi or uh, uh, Da Nang, and we're going to spend two or three days. And then we're getting off the beaten path and going through some cities there. My daughter was here. She could tell you the itinerary because her and Carolyn put it together. And then we go down to Ho Chi Minh city or saigon and we're going to spend four or five days uh we're going to do a lot of cultural things it's going to be more of a, a cultural eating tour my daughter has talked me into going to a restaurant i think it's called bar meaning black and you eat your food in complete darkness you don't <laughs> it. and i said katie i i can't do that and she's all come on dad you can do this and i'm like you know what let's go ahead and do it so uh, I'll report back on that.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. Well, has she been there before or is she just Oh, she
0: hasn't. Neither has my wife, Carolyn. Uh, oh, they're your my, travel
1: agents. I get it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I go where they tell me to go. But right. uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you had a, a choice of either an Asian menu or a Western. And Carolyn took a Western because she felt safer. I said, mm-hmm. let's do the Asian. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> you know, when I was in Japan, we were uh, eating squid, or it was squid, and it was still alive while they're slicing it. And I just, uh-huh. I couldn't eat that, and I had some. Uh, <laughs> I think it was pickled jellyfish, um, which I don't need to eat again. I, I tried it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: I got the T-shirt. I,
1: and, you know, it's so strange what you become accustomed to. You know, as uh, uh, you know, these cattle right out here in the pasture are going to wind up in a steakhouse somewhere. So. Yep. <laughs> You know, nobody thinks about it while they're eating the steak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, talk, talk, talking about cattle, I got to tell, may I tell a story about cows? Um, hopefully, I have a point. You know, the animals, <laughs> I've always thought they probably knew us better than we knew them in a lot of ways, Ted. But, but we got ready to load the other day some calves. But we had one old mama who'd been here from the original herd. And she was getting pretty old, and I didn't want to have to have a situation where I had to put her down here on the property, as I did already one time. Right. And so we went to load her, and guess what? She knew what was going on. She wasn't going to go in there, and we had a heck of a time. She got up in there, there backed out, turned around, chased the damn guys down. They had to jump up on the corral and get out of the way, and she wasn't going, uh, you know, softly. <laughs> Oh, boy. I,
0: I know is. exactly what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> I think she knew. She'd seen this thing before, you know. <laughs> but what do you I think
0: about the stock market?
1: Well, it's interesting that you say that because I have a good friend watching the show, or at least it was a moment ago, who told me that, the, you know, he was the stock market had gone down 3%. I, I guess it's right. He's an accountant, and therefore he was going to have to eat one less meal, so to speak. <laughs> and he was joking. But, you know, let's talk about the economy for a moment because I don't think they've been straight up with the numbers. They haven't been straight up with why they went in to get the documents from Trump. I think what they went on there was, a, I think, the more I look at it, the more they were hoping to find in the raid on Mar-a-Lago was something that would be a smoking gun that would tie him to January 6th. Sure. I think that's what it's really about. It's not about you know classified because the president does this stuff all the time. I think what they were hoping to do was aha. You see, there's where he communicated with the oath keepers, or there's where he directly commun. See, I think that's what they're really up to. But but um, the 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 whole um, concept of the economy has been averted. The attention to that has been averted by that. Yeah. Would you agree?
0: No, I agree, and I think, I think it goes beyond just trying to catch him on something. I think they're trying to 100% prevent him from um, yes. running president again, uh, and they'll use any means they can. And I think uh, what you just said is it's a diversion from the economy. You know, mm-hmm. president Biden's out there telling everybody inflation's under control, the gas prices are down. Gas prices are down partly because we've drained our strategic oil reserve, which is a national security issue. And they're at historic lows. So, yeah, they're down. But if we get into a situation where, you know, something happens, power grid goes down and you can't pump that oil, we're in a heap of trouble. And um, so if you deflect and it's Trump's fault and keep Trump in the media, people aren't looking at the open borders. They're not looking at the inflation. They're not looking at the cost of food. And they're not paying attention what's going on with uh, China getting uh, making noise of invading Taiwan. What do you think there's a supply chain disruption now? If that were to happen, uh, there will be no chips for a long time. You know, the microchips. We're not talking potato chips. We're talking microchips. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, We the, the, uh, the, asked about the stock market. The other thing that's happened to these corporations, and DeSantis, I thought, made a very good speech the other day when he said, Republicans should not be for corporations. They should be for business. And the reason what he was getting at is, once again, the press has kept it below the radar. These corporations are now woke, if you will. And I covered yesterday on the show that Visa, American Express, and MasterCard, now you may know this, has been asked by the government to track every time those credit cards are used to purchase ammo or guns. Well, hello, hello. How many different things are going on beneath the cover of the narrative that, that we're talking about, focus on Marlog and all this. And over here, there are no new oil and gas leases being permitted, Ted, as you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. they restricted those and you just can't go on this way. Um, and you know, we've talked about this before. It's either by ignorance, dereliction to duty or by design. And if it's by design to me, it's treasonous because you're weakening this country. And I remember having that conversation with general Flynn when he was, uh, a witness on our foreign affairs committee, he right out said, this is all by design to weaken this country. And that's when president Obama was the president. And, uh we're seeing the fruition of that coming to place. And uh, we're at a breaking point. Uh, let's hopefully we get to straighten out in the next election. Uh, but it'll only happen if people are engaged uh, through your show. They get educated. They go do their own research and they get in, involved in this and they hold their elected leaders accountable. As you know, Kat Kamik took my spot. She's not my representative anymore, but she's been down on the border, I think six or seven times. It's fine to go down there, but I want to know what you're going to do to fix the problem. I don't want rhetoric. I want action. And, uh, you know, we can say this pretty much about any representative, uh, myself included. You know, if we're not willing to stand up and put action forth, things will not change. And yet they'll talk about it in the next election. Well, I'm fighting to do this and I'm fighting to do that. I don't want you fighting. I want it fixed. I want the problem fixed. And this is be- this happens because programs like yours you educate the listeners of situations and then give them an action item um, to hold their representatives accountable. That's how we're going to change this.
1: Yeah, according to our Breitbart article, uh, <laughs> before Biden, the uh, resident population illegal uh, migrants cost the federal government about $140 billion uh, per year. And uh, that has really, see if we can get what the title, what the number is now, it's really, really going up. And you know the uh, the other thing we're talking about with the stock market, a typical illegal immigrant increases the value of all housing units by eleven point five cents. So housing becomes more expensive. Um, they've increased the nationwide housing values by a trillion uh, because of the average annual property tax rate. And, and, you know all this business that where does that come from? Mortgage rates go up. I mean, they have to go up and their prices go up and we have to shift the cost to take care of these people. See, that's, that's math. It's way above the pay grade of most people. They don't understand that. But, but the other thing that's going on with these corporations and the stock market, as DeSantis said, is the corporations don't owe their allegiance to the country. They owe their allegiance to the stockholders. And right. so if the government really extortion, puts pressure on them, says, we're going to really tip the scales here by giving you this huge subsidy for an electric car even though we don't know if it's going to work or not, then they go to electric cars at the expense of us who got to buy gas. and got to do all these other things.
0: Right. You know, the the whole pipe dream of going away from fossil fuels. I mean, that someday that possibly can happen, but it's not going to happen in the next 50 years. You go out any day, any, any town, and look at how many buses are out there, how many cars, planes, you know, boats, all that stuff going on, motorcycle. we don't have the capacity to go to electricity someday in the future with a student that comes in from Vietnam that becomes an engineer or one of our homegrown, um, you know, just a citizen here develops the technology, we'll go to that. Um, but it's, it's not going to be an overnight. You can't mandate this. It's something that has to go through a, a, just a, a maturation of technology. There are some disruptive things that come along, like the, like the LED light bulbs uh, that replaced the incandescence. Uh, uh, it was a smarter way to go. People switched to it.
1: We're talking with Ted Yoho, who is on his way to Vietnam, flying over the top of the world for 20 hours. Uh, hopefully it's enough gasoline. He, he wonders where it all is, but you know, we'll, we'll assume it's there, Ted. <laughs> and uh, next week we'll be talking with Ted from... Uh, from uh, Vietnam. I'm not sure where he'll be, but that's where the country is he'll be. And and uh, we're looking forward to that. We've got a few minutes left, and we've been talking about um, the direction the country is going in and some of the issues that you uh, need to be up to date on and some of the ways in which the popular narrative um, disguises the real nitty-gritty. And the real nitty-gritty is uh, not talked about much in the media because the media is pretty much governed by the press releases and the fads and all that business that seem to sell the papers. But, uh, so we try to, per- uh, persevere here on the show. And, and I really appreciate Ted coming in on Wednesdays to help discuss these things with you. It's uh, been, uh, a enjoy uh, talking with you. And I know you're going to have a good time and I know, um, you probably will go there with the memory of that kid in my class. I don't see how you could not, you know, um, I, you know, it's been years since, uh, he came and bowed in front of the desk. And as I say, in all the years of teaching, I never once had an American student bow. And I never once had one say, furthermore, thank you for instructing me, sir.
0: <laughs> I tell you what, that was somebody that's, that's a powerful story because that's somebody that understood what he had in his hands if he were to apply himself. And it sounds like he had done very well and uh, took advantage of that. Um, And, again, we just need kind of a wake-up call in this country. And, you know, we've got great people in this country, as they do in all countries. But it's realizing the opportunity that you have at hand that we don't ever, ever want to take that for granted or ever
1: lose that. Well, Ted, thanks for stopping by here from your – and you've gotten – everybody else must be in bed. I'm looking at the pull blinds behind you. So it must be pretty early out there. (laughs) And nobody's – seven o'clock okay well they'll be getting up in a minute but nobody came along and asked you if you had a permanent place to sleep there i'm glad that didn't happen
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of worried about that now, <laughs> beautiful hotel and uh you know we're, we'll report back next week appreciate okay. you
1: okay oh well, great great talking with you have a good trip and we'll be talking well, with you. ted next week uh thanks production for helping us run this show very smoothly as always and we'll be back with Ed Brady tomorrow to talk about the local Republican scene and the upcoming Black Tie Blue Jean festivity, which we'll have as its guest speaker, our Governor Ron DeSantis. That's great. Warthog Command Center out.